Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Welcome, friends. So I was with a colleague the other night, a colleague in the pro-life movement, and he said to me, uh, Father Frank, objectively, are we on track for President Trump to become the 47th president? And if you're following any of these politics and these polls and these dynamics, uh, obviously the answer to that is yes. Objectively speaking, the numbers speak for themselves. The enthusiasm of people speaks for itself. Yes, indeed, we are on track for him becoming not only the nominee of the Republican Party, uh, he's light years ahead uh, of everyone else, but also when you compare him with uh, Biden in the, in the polls, in the, in the key states especially, again, significantly ahead. In fact, we commented the other night in the program about the Trump uh, ascendancy in the polls over recent months. Yes, objectively, we are on track, and for a lot of other reasons, too. And this is why the left is getting more and more unhinged, why Trump derangement syndrome is becoming more and more out of control and extreme, and why they're using some rhetoric that I want to talk about here tonight. I want to talk about one of the key things that so many of his critics miss. And when I say his critics, I'm not just talking about grassroots citizens. I'm talking about even other candidates for the highest office in the land. They just don't get it. And, 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 and I'm not necessarily talking about you know, people who are attacking. I'm talking about some very, very good citizens and maybe some who supported the president in the past. It's like they don't get the dynamic going on here, which President Trump understands very, very well, of how you fight the left and of how you return power to the people. Well, I want to look here tonight at some of the, the misuse of rhetoric, some of the misuse of language against President Trump that betrays a complete, not only misunderstanding, a complete inversion of the truth about this man. Uh, let's begin, as we always do, with the Word of God. It's great to have you with us. Uh, give me your comments, your questions. Uh, let me know why you think uh, we are uh, seeing this Trump derangement syndrome. What is it that uh, that people most often get wrong about President Trump? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. And we'll begin with this reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke. I want to go to uh, chapter 11 in the Gospel of Luke and look a little bit about how Jesus uh, fought back against some of his opponents and uh, some of the language he used, some of the, the uh, intensity of his words. Luke 11, starting with verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. 
you fools. Did not he who made the, made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build the tombs. Woe to you, lawyers! For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Let us pray. Father, teach us how to confront hypocrisy. Teach us how to confront wickedness. Teach us how to challenge those who think they know it all, who think they are righteous above everyone else, but meanwhile are full of corruption. Teach us, Lord, how to fight corruption in our words, not just in our actions. Teach us, Lord, how to take what we're feeling inside when we are justly angered, justly angered at the destruction of our freedoms and of our values and of our faith and of the gift of human life. Lord, when we are justly indignant, show us how to take that angry energy and use it productively. Not to snuff it out, but to direct it under your spirit to charge back at those who are causing the destruction. And Lord, when we are wronged and when we are silenced and when we are betrayed and when we are unjustly deprived of our freedom, show us the way to vindication. You always provide a way. Teach us to elect the right kind of leaders who are going to fight once and for all against the wickedness of the left. And make justice and truth prevail, life and peace and love, and the greatness, the greatness that constitutes America. We pray in through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, friends. Um, I've often said on this program and elsewhere that one of the biggest and saddest things I see in America are those who are living at a time when we have had some of the greatest leadership our country has ever enjoyed. I'm obviously not talking about the current administration. And they've missed it. Accomplishments under President Trump, leadership under his administration, And it was right before their eyes. It was on the news every day. It was on Twitter and all kinds of other social platforms. And they failed to appreciate it. A movement which is, 
I think no doubt the greatest political movement in American history, the MAGA movement, arose right under the eyes of so many of our fellow citizens, and they failed to realize, they failed to recognize that this indeed is the greatest political movement of the very country that they belong to and claim to love. How do you miss something like that? How do you miss it? And yet so many do. Not only do they miss it, not only are they oblivious to the greatness of this movement and its leaders, but then some of them go further and try to attack it and try to stop it and try to minimize it and try to mischaracterize it. That's what we're seeing happening to an unprecedented degree on the left. That's what we've seen against President Trump from day one. And many, many uh, books and many, many analyses uh, trace this all. But it's getting really now to a fever pitch. Now, he's ahead in the polling. He's ahead in the momentum. He's ahead in the enthusiasm of the people. His base is rock solid. I am among that base. His supporters are not going to be moved by any of these attacks launched against him. Uh, He's also in an election where the other side is incredibly weak. And I want to show you one of the latest ads that that President Trump's campaign put out, again, highlighting the weakness. But then we're going to go back and see that that the other side is so nervous about him that I want to examine some of the rhetoric that's being used. But first, let's show this ad that just came out. Weak leaders talk about the possibility of war. American troops fighting Russian troops. Because they are weak and insecure. It's time for a strong American. It's time to make America great again. So this. American troops fighting Russian troops. Never happens. You think you're going to defeat an enemy without strength? Do you think you're going to defeat an enemy by bowing to them and making sure you never offend them? Is this the kind of path we want to follow in America? This, how many wars has it won us in the past? How many victories have we had based on weakness? How many victories have we had from those who can't even name the threats that are in front of us? Now, those that either are in line with the enemies of America, in line with the left, in line with the wicked and crooked ideas that destroy our our freedom and our lives, um, or those who just are totally oblivious as to how to fight these evils, when they see strength like President Trump, they feel threatened. Certainly his opponents, his direct political opponents feel threatened. But also those who believe in um, a, a, a weak approach. And because of that feeling of threat, they are going to project onto President Trump the very things that are happening to America from their enemies. We are involved in a police state right now. Hopefully you've seen the, the film, Police State. PoliceStateFilm.net is where you can see it. And they're going to transfer onto President Trump 
because they don't want to get angry. They don't want to get angry at their friends. They don't want to get angry at themselves for their own failures. So they have to have a bad guy. See, this is what happens psychologically. They end up projecting onto him all the guilt, all the anger, all the resentment that they have towards themselves for letting all these terrible things happen to America and all the shame that they feel in themselves for not having fought as hard as he fights, the shame that they feel about themselves for being so weak, not being able to say the things that he says that they know they should be saying, and therefore they get angry at themselves, but they can't be angry at themselves. That hurts too much, and so they go after him. That's some of the psychology of what's going on here. And what it does is that it puts onto President Trump labels and arguments that are completely the opposite of what's going on. Most recently, this notion of calling him a dictator. Now, if you say, like, like for example, for example, Senator McCaskill said that Trump is actually worse than Hitler. Now, you know, when these people say things like this, first of all, it's the kind of rhetoric that can incite deranged people to uh, commit acts of violence. I mean, why shouldn't we eliminate a Hitler, right? And then what's also going on here is that people have no respect, not only no respect for him and what he stands for, which is really all the things that we believe in, but no respect for your intelligence. When they start saying things that are so completely the opposite of reality, because as I've pointed out so many times on this program, all the policies of President Trump and the things that he says, I mean, he doesn't hide his agenda. He tells you exactly what he means, are things that bring more power to you and me. Starting with his inaugural address, you know, I, this is not about the transfer of power from one party to another, but from Washington, D.C., back to the people. What did he do for small businesses, for family wages, school choice, the, the right just to be born in the first place, his pro-life uh, commitments, his, his, his uh, uh, protection for, uh, for example, the, our veterans and, and, and what he did for the, for the VA and things like the right to try. Does that give power to the people when you can try a, a potentially life-saving drug? It hasn't gotten full approval yet, but you're willing to take the risks. Everything that he does. Lifting everybody up in the economy, taking so many unprecedented numbers of people out of poverty, securing our nation in such a way that we can flourish and start small businesses without being crushed by, by government regulations, and on and on. We can go on all might. There's not a single accomplishment of his administration that doesn't give more power to you and me. And that's why he keeps saying, this is about us. It's a movement. It's not about me, it's about us. Go so far as to say, we're running for president and we're going to be the 47th president of the United States. Sounds like a good idea to me. And yet now you have people calling him a dictator. I always found this to be not only the most unpersuasive statement about President Trump, but absolutely the most laughable because it's the most inside out. The most inside out. We worship God, not government. Who has said that? Who has said that repeatedly at his rallies? Who has said that so repeatedly to the strongest applause of tens of thousands of people at once? Who has rallied around the flag, the anthem, the constitution, the policies that give power to the people? For example, 
when you talk about an election gone wrong or an election that could have been stolen or that there is evidence that it was in some way stolen, what is that position in and of itself? Think about it. The left wants to say, oh, it's somebody who's just trying to grab power. Why? Because the outcome is that he himself ends up elected to public office? Can't you just as easily see it as the other way around? That he's concerned that power has been grabbed away from you? In other words, if you cast your vote, or if most people cast their vote for him, and somebody manipulated the results or the ballots or or the election in some way, shape, or form, so that you were disenfranchised from your vote, is somebody who cares about you and your power and freedom going to get mad? Or are they just going to say, I have nothing to see here, folks, don't worry about it? Why can't somebody's concern that an election went wrong be more, be more than about self-interest? Why can't it be interest for you? And working for election integrity and reforming the laws and practices of our country so that every vote is counted and every vote counts. Is This is restoring power to the people. It's not grabbing power for yourself. This is so upside down. And so he was asked just the other night, did you see that the town hall with, uh, with Sean Hannity? That was great. And Sean Hannity said, let's deal, let's deal with this accusation. that You're a dictator. You're going to be a dictator. They're going to use the power of government against the people. And of course, President Trump rightly said, oh, you mean like the other side is doing right now? Again, I go back to police state, policestatefilm.net. Mark Hauk, who we're going to honor at our prayer service in January, FBI raiding his home in the morning. Friends, what is, what is, what is the Democrat Party doing right now? If not weaponizing government, what is Biden doing when he thinks he can just ignore the law and ignore the Supreme Court and forgive student loan and and do things that he's not empowered to do or or fail to enforce our laws about the border and about a hundred other things? And just deciding on his own which way the country's going to go, what is this? Where's the power to the people? Where's the, the force of the laws that we ourselves, through our elected representatives, put into place Elected a president to uh, enforce those laws, and now he's just going to cast that out the window? What do you think a dictatorship looks like? So he was asked the question, and then he said, well, no, I'm not going to act like a dictator except on day one. Now, this goes into a principle. I've talked about it here before on, on the show of various people who understand President Trump and the way he speaks and acts. have pointed this out in their writings. And it goes like this. His supporters take him seriously, but not literally. His detractors take him literally, but not seriously. President Trump has a sense of humor, and he also knows how to use hyperbole. He'll exaggerate things. He'll say things for shock value. I'm going to go into that a little bit more in a moment. And it works. He knows how to fight back against immense odds, intensely powerful enemies. He knows how to shock the system. He knows how to change and take control of the discourse. He knows how to do that. He knows how to provoke. And when things are going so wrong for so long, 
You have to provoke in order to shake them up and change direction in a nation like ours. So he'll use words to do that. His supporters take him seriously, and they understand what he's saying, and they know that he means it, but they also know that he says things very often in a way that you don't take literally, but you get the meaning. You take it seriously. His opponents don't take him seriously at all. They think he's only in this for self-interest, all the evidence of which is, 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 is against that conclusion. But they take him literally. Remember when he said, there's, there's a lot of examples of this, but just to, to grab one, over the course of various rallies, I think during the 2020 uh, election, where he would say, yeah, yeah we're going to get another term in 2020, and then we're going to do it again in 24, and then in 28, and then in 32. Yeah. And it's like, obviously, he's speaking in, in, in hyperbolic language, and the point that you take seriously is, we're going to take this country back. We, as a movement, we're going to take this country back. We're not going to let go of this country. In other words, we're going to keep the, the government on the right track here. As we govern ourselves, we're going to get the right people in leadership who are going to protect that. And then you got people saying, uh, he, he started making fun of it too at these rallies. He says, oh, I better, I, better, I better make it clear here that I'm joking. Otherwise, the fake news media, they're going to go, here's the headline. It's going to be the other, the, 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 tomorrow morning, President Trump said this and President Trump said that. You know, and he's had to, and he's made a point of facetiously saying, "Oh, oh, oh let me, let me, let me, uh, 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 let me make sure that they don't run with this false idea." His supporters take him seriously, but not literally. His detractors take him literally, but not seriously. So when he said, "Oh yeah, no, no, I'm not going to be a dictator," except on day one, you actually have people saying, "Oh, you see, he admitted he's going to be a dictator." Can you, imagine, can you imagine this garbage? Can you imagine that people actually think this? No, wait, 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 you say, you say, you say, you told you, told you, told you. Except that he said exactly what he meant. Day one, we're going to secure the border and we're going to drill, drill, drill. How much like Hitler is that? That's what you're afraid of? Securing the border of your country so that you and your families can walk through the streets, walk through the park, your children can go to school and not be uh, terrified that someone's going to kill them because they came over an open border that just, the chances are 100% that somebody meaning to do harm to America has walked through that border. Undetected, absolutely unrestrained, just at liberty now to go wherever he or she wants and do whatever he or she pleases. You're going to close the borders and you're going to drill? You mean like to make America energy independent and ultimately energy dominant? Dictator? Is that, is that, what, that what, is that what you're afraid of, that he's a dictator? This is so stupid. And then you've got Chris Christie saying in response to all this, of saying of President Trump, this is an angry, bitter man. I want to address that for a moment. Chris Christie and all those that, that you represent when you talk this way, are you trying to tell us that you're not angry at the attacks on America that are going on in our homeland? 
Are you trying to tell us that you're not angry that the southern border has been decimated, that our economy has been decimated, that our standing on the world stage has been decimated by so many embarrassing stumbles and fumbles and foils? Do you mean to tell me you're not angry when people are deprived of their freedom of speech or when government is weaponized He's an, let's just take angry first. He's an angry man. So am I. So are tens of millions of the rest of us. I remember as the 2020 election proceeded, and I think it was shortly after it was, it was over. Newt Gingrich. It's hard to find a more highly respected, experienced, smart, intelligent, uh, 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 insightful political leader on the stage today than, 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 than our friend Newt Gingrich, said he, had, he was experiencing an anger unlike he had ever experienced in all his public life. Remember Senator Marco Rubio saying, saying similar things. When we had very clear evidence that at least made people suspect that people's voting rights were being trampled upon, Chris Christie and others who criticize President Trump, you mean to tell me that that doesn't get you angry? You mean to tell me that that shouldn't get people angry? Well, what are you trying to say? He's angry. Should, isn't anger the appropriate response when we see what we believe in and what we value and what people have fought and died for here in America and what we hold as a prized inheritance attacked? explicitly, deliberately, and systematically, that's not supposed to get us angry? Then what does get you angry? What does get you angry? Friends, this is sick. When we're criticizing a leader for being angry, we're criticizing, get this, we're criticizing a leader of America for getting angry at the enemies of America. Doesn't matter who those enemies are. Those enemies might be in the media. Those enemies might be in the in the deep state. Those enemies might be in, in the opposite political party. They might be among some in your own political party. They might be in the FBI and the CIA and the Department of Justice. But you're not going to get angry at the enemies of America? This is just so ridiculous. And then, of course, when you've got people fanning the flames here. Oh, oh let, me, let me show you how they misuse another thing that President Trump said. I will be your, your retribution. I will be your voice, I will be your vindication, I'll be your rep. You bet he will. And then again, the other side, the other side twists this into the darkest possible interpretation. He's going to execute people. He's going to imprison people. He's going to use the power of government against the American citizens. That's exactly what he's going to stop. That's what the Democrats are doing now. When he says, I will be your vindication, doesn't mean he's going to throw people into a prison or off a cliff. What it means, brothers and sisters, is you and I have had our rights violated. We've had our rights violated through crooked elections. We've had our rights violated by the suppression of our freedom of speech, by the suppression of our religious liberty. We experienced that in our own ministry, and President Trump was already our vindication. When he set us free from that contraceptive mandate, that Obama and Biden put in during Obama's term, his terms, 
We were vindicated because our, what he's saying is, is exactly the same thing as he said in his inaugural address. This is about bringing power back to you, the people. I'm going to be your vindication because I'm going to get rid of, of the deep state that is, get them out of office. Remember, one of his proposals is to increase the powers of the president to be able to fire from their government positions bureaucrats that are not carrying out the job they're supposed to be doing. People justly, duly elect a president because they believe in a particular program, a particular platform, and then bureaucrats stand in the way of implementing that platform because they think differently. No, those people shouldn't be working there anymore. President Trump wants to make it easier to to stop that from happening. He's going to be your vindication because you've lived under the oppression of a terrible economy or of unsafe neighborhoods or violence in cities that are run by Democrats. He's going to be your vindication because he's going to bring back law and order in the specific ways that he has said he's going to bring them back. He's going to be your vindication. Did you hear about his education plan? And setting up a system where we have free education that is freed from the woke indoctrination is going to be your vindication because you suffer in silence when your children are indoctrinated in school and when the rights of parents are snuffed out by Democrat policies that say parents should have nothing to say about if their children want a transgender operation, they should be able to get it, and parents have no right to interfere with that. Your vindication means the elimination of critical race theory, of woke gender theory being imposed on our kids, and parents being edged out, pushed out of the process of taking care of their own children. That's what he means. And that's the kind of vindication we need. And yeah, we should be angry about these other things that are happening. And we should be looking for someone in the political arena who is going to vindicate our rights. On the other side, they don't know anything except how to twist this stuff around to ultimately serve their own purposes. I want to show you a little video here. Did you hear this, um, this member of Congress now, you try to walk back his comments later, and I'll read you what he said. But Daniel Goldman, there's a reaction video about what this Congressman Golden said. Because when you start believing all this negative rhetoric about President Trump, oh, he's a dictator, oh, worse than Hitler, a MAGA movement is the biggest threat to our democracy, the deluded, demented Biden said. You know, then, then some people end up saying stupid things like this. Watch this clip. A congressman said that Trump should be eliminated. During an interview with Jen Psaki, New York Congressman Daniel Goldman said this about Donald Trump. That that man cannot see public office again. He is destructive to our democracy uh, and he has, to be, uh, he has to be eliminated. Later, Goldman walked back his comment, posting this on X. I certainly wish no harm to him and do not condone political violence. I apologize for the poor choice of words. Goldman apologized for his poor choice of words. A poor choice of words is when you say, you look good for your age, or you don't sound like a man. Saying that his call for Trump to be eliminated was just a poor choice of words is like saying the Titanic had a minor boating accident. Please like, comment, and subscribe. There you go. Somebody said on uh, one of the many comments there on X, Somebody said, oh, so it's okay for you. It's just a misspeak. If President Trump would have said that, you would have had him raided and locked up. Apology not 
accepted. You know, these people have to stop thinking that they can get away with this. They put something out there. They put ideas into people's heads. All they're trying to do is, is, is eliminate his political support. Sorry, but we're not budging. And then they feel that they can just they, they be scot-free. And, oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. And you actually didn't misspeak. This is what the other side thinks right now. This is what the other side is trying to do right now. Now, uh, David Horowitz wrote this book a few years ago, Blitz. Trump will smash the left and win. And that's ultimately how this is all going to turn out, by the way. I wanted, It deserves a little bit the concluding part of this program. There's a few of these paragraphs deserve to be read because somebody else said to me just the other day, again, a respected person, he's on our side on all the issues. Uh, but this gentleman said to me in a conversation with several others, he says, oh, well, Trump, you know, the problem is he can't control his mouth. I don't agree with that. He knows exactly what he's doing. Some people have this, this notion, of, like with the tweets, that he couldn't control, he couldn't restrain himself from saying certain things on the, on the tweet. Now, of course, it's truth, truth social. No, there's something deeper going on here. Something deeper going on here. It's, it, it comes out of a philosophy that he has both had, used, and articulated Long, long before he ran for president. And David Horowitz picks up on it here. Let me just read a little bit of this. A tweet's brevity, now of course it's a truth, okay, but a tweet's brevity, forces blunt discourse. Trump's in-your-face tweets do not reflect a lack of knowledge about how government should function, as his critics, both left and right, maintain. Rather, they are a calculated strategy to blow back the bullies of political correctness and political doublespeak, who had effectively cowed Republicans through the previous two administrations. This is what I was talking about before. That those who are getting angry at Trump or criticizing or calling him these names or doing this complete inversion of the truth are either those who believe in the leftist things that he's trying to stop or those who are embarrassed. They're basically been embarrassed and, and shamed that they were so weak in the face of the same enemies. Let me go on quote, quoting Horowitz. The purpose of bluntness is precisely its shock value, which changes the dynamics of a political exchange, peels back its deceptions, speaks truth to power. He gives the example of Hillary Clinton. So many allowed her to hide behind this veil of gentility. After all, she was a woman. Trump looks her in the eye in the presidential debates and says, you're a liar and a crook. He says out in the open what a lot of people were thinking, but, oh, oh, no, we can't say those things. It's not polite. Enough! Who's going to say what has to be said once and for all? Long before, and here's where we go back into Trump's thinking over many years, long before Twitter was created, Trump had made it clear that if such a means ever became available, it would suit him perfectly. In his book, The America We Deserve, written 17 years before his presidential run, Trump explained his attitude toward political speech. Now, think about the comment of, of my friend recently, although he can't control his mouth. Well, hold on one second. Listen to this. Words of President Trump. Most politicians use language to conceal what they think or to conceal the fact that they don't think. Many are trained as lawyers and use language to win support 
rather than to define the truth. Isn't that an important distinction? Win support rather than define the truth. Then he goes on to say, and this is just as true today as it ever was, being blunt hasn't hurt me so far. I use language to speak my mind. I've lived my life as I choose, and I say what I wanted to say. Brothers and sisters, I value that exact same position, and I hope I can always say that throughout my life, too. That I said what I really thought. Now, David Horowitz goes on. Let me just, is worth reading a few more paragraphs here. Trump's blunt, blunt candor won the support of the working and middle classes who had grown increasingly frustrated by politics as usual. They had seen slick politicians of both parties vow to serve the people in the Constitution, then go to Washington and serve themselves and special interests. By the way, I deal with the same thing within the church. Just as we want, we want politicians to speak the truth and, and, and be true to their commitments and stop this doublespeak, we want those kind of leaders in the church too. Unfortunately, we get the opposite. But then it goes down to say, it goes on to say, President, okay, President Trump was, was elected. He gored the oxen of the left on a daily basis. They responded by attacking him. Even some of Trump's conservative supporters were sometimes uncomfortable with his blunt force tweets. What Trump's critics on the right failed to appreciate, and this is the point I want to emphasize, was that his unapologetic refusal to genuflect before PC sacred cows had an explosive and long overdue effect. Impact on the progressive culture. The PC culture, with its leftist bias, had dominated political discourse in the decades since the radical 60s. No one but Trump had the audacity to reshape that discourse by frankly saying what needs to be said regardless of conventional decorum Trump regularly lights up the media with his tweets. His leftist critics cry foul. They accuse him of being an obsessive narcissist or of not being sufficiently presidential. Again, going back to my friend's comment. Oh, he doesn't know, doesn't, can't control his mouth. Oh, 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 hold on a second. His supporters on the right sometimes cringe at his tweets and complain that he often steps on his own message, but both left and right miss the point. Trump ascended to the office as an apprentice politician. He had to feel his way under intense, hostile media scrutiny. He was being aggressively sabotaged by agents of the deep state in this difficult environment. Certainly he made mistakes, but even as an apprentice, he wielded his Twitter account as a potent weapon against his ideological opponents. Final few sentences. His abrasiveness often provoked them to overreact and hence expose their partisan agenda and dishonesty in this way. Trump shone a spotlight into the deep chasm in our nation's politics through his tweets and the overreactions of his enemies, overreactions, Chris Christie, overreactions, uh, Congressman Goldman, overreactions, Senator McCaskill, overreactions, those of you who are calling him Hitler and a dictator. Your agenda is exposed. Your true colors are now showing. Why? Because he was able to provoke you into it. In this way, he's shown a spotlight into the, the deep chasm in American politics. Through his tweets and the overreactions of his enemies, Trump proved that the problem in America is not a character issue in the White House, but a deep ideological rift 
that has been tearing at the fabric of American life for decades. And what is that ideological rift? Essentially, it's the difference between a respect for freedom or the advance of tyranny. Of respect and understanding for the role of faith in public life or a suppression of religious faith. Of a respect for the God-given right to life that is in our Declaration of Independence or of the idea that we can be God by suppressing the lives we want to suppress. It's freedom versus tyranny. It's good versus evil. Thank God we have a fighter like President Trump who realizes it's not about him. Again, every every declaration that he makes, every policy he proposes, and every accomplishment that he can be proud of having achieved, Look at them all through this simple lens. Are these things bringing power to him or to you? He had everything he needed if you just wanted to have a life of fame and fortune and ease and success. He already had it. He loses the ease. He loses all the... the, plaudits and praise that he had prior to entering into politics. He loses that. Loses money, too. And he's willing to do it all again. That's not a dictator. That's a servant. And let's not forget it, and let's not let our fellow citizens forget it. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we lift up Donald Trump to you and Lord, we know that we don't, we don't have any political saviors. We don't need any political saviors. We have you. Jesus Christ is our savior, and Donald Trump acknowledges. No, Lord, but, but we, need, we do need a leader. We, we don't need another savior, but we need a leader. And Lord, we, we, we have to stop the nonsense. The double speak, the cowardice, the bowing to political correctness, the... The, in, the unwillingness to confront and insult the left. Lord, we heard, we heard the words of Jesus at the outset tonight in this reading from Luke that he insulted the Pharisees. He called them fools. He called them wicked. He called them hypocrites. And then when another group of people said that they were insult, uh, he was insulting them too, he doubled down against them also. Lord, teach us, teach us the role of strong language. We've we've forgotten it. Teach us the role of of righteous anger. Here we've got political candidates, Lord, telling us that it's bad to be an angry man. Lord Jesus, you are angry. And today we are angry too. We are angry at the assault on human life. We're angry at the Things that are happening to the world because of weak and incompetent leadership in the United States. We're angry that terrorists feel that they can ravage the world again. Nations feel they can invade other nations. Leaders that were no longer using destructive missiles feel they can start playing around with them again because they see the United States as weak. Help us, Lord Jesus. 
We are in the season of preparing for your coming, your celebration of your birth. We are in the season when the Advent Church cries out, Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we need you to come. Transform our leadership. Help us recognize good leadership when, when you give it to us. And help us do everything in our power to make sure that we keep such leadership. Because ultimately, great leadership in this nation means that we, we are empowered to govern ourselves. We pray now, Lord Jesus, as you yourself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, patriots. Thank you, fellow believers. Thank you for tuning in. And we will talk to you soon. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. Priests for Life, saving lives for over 30 years. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.